is you sit down with a client or you're ready to work on that project. At what point does an AI tool start to play a role in the work that you're doing? From day one until the very end of the project, until everything's delivered. Welcome to the AI for Creatives podcast, where we take you on a journey through the exciting and rapidly evolving world of AI. I'm Kira Hug. And I'm Rob Marsh. We are the founders of the Copywriter Club, and we're here to guide you through the dynamic landscape of artificial intelligence to help you leverage the latest AI tools to maximize your creativity, your focus, and your profitability. Our aim is to provide you with insights, knowledge, and practical advice that will help you stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing world of AI. We'll show you how to use these new tools to simplify your work processes, tap into your creative potential, and drive your business success. So whether you're a copywriter, marketer, or creative professional of any kind, join us as we explore the intersection of AI and creativity. If you've been anywhere near your inbox lately, you know that talk of artificial intelligence or AI is everywhere. Some people claim that it spells the end of content and copywriting as we know it. Others argue that it's the biggest opportunity for marketers in generations, but the truth probably lies somewhere in between. As one marketer recently noted, AI won't take your job, but someone using AI will. That's why it's crucial for copywriters and creatives to learn how to use these tools so they can stay relevant and competitive in the years ahead. To shed some light on this topic, we've invited copywriter and AI expert Sam Woods to join us on the first episode of the AI for Creatives podcast. In this episode, we grill Sam with our burning questions about AI, its impact on the creative industry, and what it means for the future of copywriting. Join us as we explore this fascinating topic and discover how AI is shaping the world of creative work. And yes, parts of that intro were written in collaboration with ChatGPT because we've got to walk the talk and experiment with these tools. So now let's get started. Before we jump into the interview, this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Underground, which is our private community featuring monthly business and marketing trainings, quarterly AI trainings, of course, designed to help you leverage the latest AI tools in your own business, weekly copy reviews with Rob, so you can continue to uplevel your copywriting skills, group coaching calls with the two of us, so you can feel more confident in your day-to-day -day client management and business growth, and much more. So join us inside this membership to streamline your business processes and focus on those needle-moving skills and business practices. You can check it all out at thecopywriterunderground.com. That's thecopywriterunderground.com. Okay, let's kick this episode off with our interview with Sam. Okay, so before we hit record, I asked chat GPT, what podcast questions I should ask you, Sam, and I have 10 questions that it spit out for me. They're okay. So I'm going to kick off with one of them, even though I think actually my questions are better, but let's just stick with the tool and kick it off with how do you see AI impacting society and the economy in the next five to 10 years? Start I mean, big. Yeah. Like I'll make a prediction and everyone will then tell me that I was wrong five years from now. <laughs> It's hard to say these things because it sounds like hype and it sounds overstated and it sounds like 
everything else has been hype. You have right before this, you had Web3 and crypto and all this other stuff, right? NFTs. And they were all hyped and so on. But what's different about AI is that it's an infrastructure play, as in it's being integrated into all the things that we are already doing. Web3 is not infrastructure, even though crypto could be infrastructure in terms of payments and coins and tokens and everything else, but it wasn't, and it probably never will be. But what you can do with AI is at an infrastructure level in society, as in it can be implemented into not everything, but most things. And that's what we're seeing now, like Bing. So Microsoft made the investment of a decade years ago when they invested into OpenAI. Probably the investment of, the, of not just a decade, but the century. Uh, and they're integrating ChatGPT into Bing. They're going to integrate it into Microsoft Word, the Office Suite, all the tools that Microsoft has. They're going to implement this little chatbot type thing and have it be your writing assistant, your PowerPoint assistant. In any tool, any app, any software you can imagine, a lot of companies are integrating AI into it. Notion, the Notion.so, the tool that a lot of people use, they've integrated AI into the tool and it does simple things like summarizing or does whatever, right? So we're seeing that happen and it's gonna accelerate over the next few years to the point where five years from now, it'll just be a part of our daily routine of any kind, anything from work to play, to family, to social life, it'll just be there in different ways and at different capacities. Now, the interesting thing is everyone thought AI was coming for the blue collar truck driving jobs first, but they're coming for the white collar information worker, creative works first or creative jobs first. It's coming for the creative class, if you want to call it that. Designers, writers, photographers, videographers. What we're seeing with generative AI is how it's becoming as good. And like we're, what we're seeing now is early. This is early versions of what it can do. Just imagine this, if this is version one, imagine version 50. And it's creating, it can create text, images, video, audio, either from nothing or just based on like a minute of you speaking into a microphone. And then it can take your voice, analyze it, and then replicate your voice and have you say anything. So the capacity for you to create deep fakes of yourself, and unfortunately, for anyone to create deep fakes of you, the tech is there and is both good and bad. It's terrifying and exciting at the same time. But five years from now, it'll be part of everything we do. Most things we do. Anything that involves a computer or a cell phone, somewhere in there, there'll be an AI bot doing different tasks, different tasks, anything from writing to analyzing, to reminding you to you name it. And it's going to create a crap ton of new jobs that didn't exist before. It already is. If you think about prompting, which is how you interact with something like ChatGPT and GPT-3, that is becoming a job where I believe companies are gonna start hiring and who knows what they'll be called. Some say they will be called prompt engineers, prompters, chief prompt officer. I like prompt to call writer. it- Prompt writer. Yeah, exactly, prompt writer. Prompt librarian, I've seen as well. So I just like to call it prompt craft because you like you're really designing language that you then use to give instructions. But so it'll create jobs like that. It'll create jobs for people who know how to integrate AI into any company's workflow, whatever it might be, and processes. So it'll create a ton of jobs, and it'll also eliminate a ton of jobs, and it'll reshape 
the economy in different ways. Not so much destroy it, it'll just change it. Yeah. Everything will change. Yeah. So that's a short so, version. <laughs> so you're making a prediction. I, I want to actually take you back in time to 2015. Mm. We were together in Texas. I think it was mm -hmm. the first time we met in person. And we were actually talking about AI at this conference. And yeah. the person at this conference, I don't know if you remember this or not, we'll call him Ed because that was his name. But he's, <laughs> in, so we were in 2015 and he was t telling us, he said, this was April 2015. And he said, by October, yeah. AI is going to completely replace copywriting. Yeah. And you and I both laughed. We're yeah, because like, he was full of it. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. And we're like, no, no way. Not going to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think at that time we said, eventually, yes, mm -hmm. it may happen. But we're years away from that. Yep. We were right. It has been years. It probably came a little faster, I think, than some people were expecting. The interface that ChatGPT in particular presents, I think, has scared a lot of people. Yeah. But let's just go a little bit broader as we talk about AI, because ChatGPT is one tool, but it's yeah. not the only tool. And there are no. all kinds of different AIs. And we should also mention, we say AI, it's not true intelligence, right? No, it's, it's artificial, not. But these are algorithms, programs that are designed to do particular things. Let's, it's machine learning is what yeah, it exactly. is. Exactly. Let's yeah. talk a little bit more about some of those other applications too. So the funny thing is that the biggest game in town is GPT-3, which comes from OpenAI. And they also released ChatGPT, but ChatGPT is just a version of GPT-3. Now, up until now, and I think that'll change this year, but up until now, almost just about every single text generating tool out there, Jasper, copy.ai, you name it, all of them, tap into GPT-3 via API. Right. So they look different and they had different ways of prompting the API and interacting with the API and give you stuff back, but it's all based and tap into GPT-3. So up until now, the biggest game in town and really the only game in town has been GPT-3. And before GPT-3, there was GPT-2. And before two, there was one. So and it's there's a, rumors of four being Four is coming this year. This year. Yeah. Four exists. It's just being beta tested by select companies. So it's like it exists. And at some point this year, it'll be made available to other people. But it's a language model that's, and I'm going to try to keep it simple, been trained with the help of what's called machine learning. And what happened is that it consumed almost all the internet and then it's a text predictor. So it's a very fast, very smart text predict. It can predict whatever text is supposed to come next. So it's not intelligent. It's not artificial intelligence the way we think of it or have talked about it or the way it's portrayed in movies. It's not sentient. It doesn't understand. If you ask it a question, it'll answer, but it does not understand your question. It just predicts what the text is that should come and that goes with your question. Right. So it's not smart. It's not intelligent. It's, it's really machine learning. Everyone calls it AI because it's just a buzzword, but it's really machine learning. But all these other tools are based off of it. That'll change. There are plenty of other language models out there. They're just not as widely adopted or used yet, but they will be. The funny thing about Google is they've had this technology available to them for years. They just never released it in the way that ChatGPT came out. So these tools are mostly based off of OpenAI's language model, which is GPT-3. I think that'll change, but right now they are all very similar. Models for images and audio are different, a different training set, different model altogether. Just for clarity, when we say models for images, we're talking about things like image recognition and image creation. Yes. And 
it's different because we're not using words, a predictive model on what words should follow, but it's similar in the way that it is predicting what colors should go here, what the brush stroke yeah. should look like based off of the input that we tell the machine it should yeah. be using, correct? Yeah. It takes the instruction like you're talking to it and you tell it what you want and then it'll interpret what you want and give it to you. Yeah. So all of this falls under generative AI. So AI for creative work, where it literally generates stuff is called generative AI, which is a different kind of AI than other types of AI. I'm not going to get into all the tech details. It's too deep and too far, but just so people can think about it, like the text model that's called GPT-3 language model really falls under the larger category of generative AI, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's AI for generating X, Y, Z, whatever, Yeah. anything. Okay. All right. So how are you using these tools and your business and your creative work mm -hmm. and your own systems and processes on a professional basis? Yeah. So if I talk about poems, I can't, that's not professional. Or is that professional too? Are you getting paid to it. write the poem? If you're not, it's personal. <laughs> so I'm paid to write Pulp Fiction with AI, but anyway, we will get to that point. We can so, talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. We can talk about it in a little bit. So I was fortunate just because of people I'd come to know in my work over the years, I was fortunate enough to have access to GPT-2 back in 2019. And then in 2020, GPT-3 before it was made publicly available. And ever since I've used primarily GPT-3 because it was the most advanced and just the best one available in the process of anything from ideation, brainstorming, drafting, writing, rewriting, and editing copy. I've also used it for things like optimization, like optimizing a landing page or an ad or whatever you want to optimize. And it became a huge part of what I've been doing for clients over the past few years, ever since. Now, before that, the only exposure I had to artificial intelligence, so to speak, or machine learning was just via data analytics and data crunching because AI for those things is far more developed than AI for like text generation. AI for data analytics and numbers crunching and business intelligence and so on and so forth is very far advanced and has been around for a very long time and it's nothing new, but that was my first exposure to it. And then eventually it turned into using tools for primarily copy, but then as these image tools became better as in producing better output, I've, I started incorporating that as well into essentially any client work that I've done over the past few years. Yeah. Let's talk about how, let's talk about mm -hmm. how you're doing it. Let's say typical client comes to you. I think you mostly write sales copy, a lot of long form. Maybe there's some ancillary things that are attached to that. As you sit down with a client or you're ready to work on that project, at what point does an AI tool start to play a role in the work that you're doing? From day one until the very end of the project until everything's delivered. So my work as a copywriter has changed a lot over the past few years. And if it's helpful to think of what I do as sales copy, then we can stick with that. But it's not really what I do anymore. It's part of what I do, but it touches on a lot more than just writing a long form sales page. It covers. Let's use that as an example. And then let's sure. expand on how you're using it in your business. Cause I think it's at least helpful for me to start sure. with a specific example, walk through it. Yeah. For sales page, long form sales page, AI is incorporated at every stage and from day one. So day one of a client project starts with some form of research, right? You look at the product or the service they're selling, you look at the market, you look at competitors, 
all the usual things we know to do as copywriters in the research phase of things. You look, look at the features, the benefits, promises, how something works, outcomes you can promise, who the avatar is, what their fears, problems, frustrations are, what they want, what desires they have in mind, what dreams they want to come true. Whatever you do as a copywriter in the research phase, you can do with the help of these tools, AI tools. I mostly, 95% of the time, use GPT-3 and at this point, ChatGPT together. And they've been my primary go-to as tools. There are other tools that are great to use, Jasper, Copy.ai, and so on, and they're fine. I tend to use those the most because I have more control over what I do with it and what I get back. But from day one, when I do research, I use it to discover things about my avatar. I'll describe my avatar and then ask specific questions. I examine the product or the service with the help of ChatGPT or GPT-3, where I analyze the text about it and have these tools tell me things about the text that I give it. So it's research, it's ideation, it's brainstorming big ideas, it's brainstorming angles and hooks, it's doing research. And not that I rely only on these tools to do the research, like I'll have it do some, I'll bring research I do to it and have it analyze the text for me. I'll pull together reviews from Amazon or some other e-commerce site, if that's applicable or Reddit forums or anywhere that I can find what people are saying, the voice of customer research. I'll take interviews or surveys that I do. Anything that's voice of customer, I'll take, give it to ChatGPT and GPT-3 and have it analyze it in different ways. And then it'll tell me things like out of the, these 2000 words of reviews, here are the five primary desires expressed. Here are the human biases expressed. Here are the negative sentiments, the positive sentiments. Here, here are the needs in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs expressed. Here are the objections people have. Here are the positive things people say. So it's become a tool for analyzing voice of customer research and any other research that you do when you write a sales page for a client from day one. And then eventually I use it for drafting and writing as well, but is that helpful? Can you talk more about the analysis part? Because that's not mm -hmm. quite clear to me. I'm dropping some of my research into the tool, but what am I asking to get back the information I need? What am I looking for? Yeah. You ask any question you want to have an answer to. That's the simplest answer. And I'll explain what I mean, but I want people to understand this. You can ask any question, give it any text and ask any question you want to know about the text. Okay. Which means that what you can ask is unlimited. There is no limitation to what you can ask. So as an example, the way you interact with ChatGPT and GPT-3 is through what we call prompts. And prompts are just statements. It's either a question you ask or a function you give it or a direction you give it, you tell it to do something. Write me 10 headlines. Like that's a simple prompt. It's a really bad prompt, but it's a prompt example. But for the analysis, and let me know if I'm either like too simple or too advanced, truly, literally what you do, let's say you have 2000 words of Amazon reviews for, let's say it's your client's product, make it simple. You literally put that into something like a Google doc, clean it up, make sure the formatting is fine, remove any useless information, like someone's name. Like we don't care what the name is. Okay. We only want to know what they said, clean up the text. Format it nice and clean, remove names, remove stars, like whatever, clean it. All you want is the language. And then you write a prompt 
and depending on what you want to know. So if I want to, if I want to know what the primary desires expressed are in this body of text, then it's, it's a bit, bit more detail in this, but essentially what I'm asking in the prompt, like I write a prompt out, which is just a statement and direction. And I say, analyze the text below and tell me what the five primary desires expressed are. There's more to that prompt, but I'll keep it simple for now. Literally, truly, like it's the prompt I have is maybe five sentences, but it's literally asking what are the desires expressed in this text? I take that and I highlight that prompt together with the text that I wanted to analyze. I paste it into ChatGPT and I hit enter. And then it tells me what the desires are in the text. And replace primary desire with anything you want to know. Objections. Positive sentiment, negative sentiments. What Maslow hierarchy of needs are expressed? What human biases show up in this text? Ooh, that's good. And truly, it's very low tech for being a very high tech tool. Truly what you do is you literally copy and paste stuff into the little box and you hit enter and I'll read out, I'll read out a prompt. So you hear the level of detail that's in it. And so this one is for primary desires. When I'm asking it to consume any text, I give it and tell me in this text, what primary desires show up, what primary de desires are expressed. Now here's, and here's where the prompt starts. Here's what I'm saying to ChatGPT. You are an expert on human emotions, behavior, and language. You can easily and expertly detect human behavior, thoughts, and logic based on language. Make a bulleted list of six primary desires people experience based on the text provided below. Mark this list with a heading, six primary desires. Also, make a separate list of what desires are not present, but should be if I want to appeal to a specific avatar and where I then change is I describe who the avatar is at the very end. So I will say, make a list of things that could appeal to copywriters in their late thirties who started a family and are wondering how to feed their kids. Then I give it a list. Here is a list of desires that I want you to look for. And then it's a list of about 15 or so desires that I just paste in. And then I say, the text you should analyze is here. And then I paste the text, hit enter, and it'll analyze the text and tell me what the six primary desires are. And it'll give me a list of the desires that could be or should be in a text that could appeal to whatever the avatar is. Replace the primary desire and change a few words around and you can insert human biases, psychographics, logic versus emotion, Positive sentiments are for things like what are the goals expressed, what outcomes are expressed, what wants, hopes, and dreams, what features and benefits do people want, what relationships are expressed. Go to negative sentiments and what pains are expressed, what problems, what fears, what worries, what frustrations, what uncertainties are expressed, what needs in Maslow's hierarchy needs are expressed and which aren't but should be. What objections do people have in this text? List them all and analyze the voice, tone, style, and diction of this text and give me a profile of what the voice, tone, style, and diction is like. Now, to be clear, Sam, as you're sharing a lot of these prompts, 
you're not you're usually not combining them all right you're doing them in a single conversation mm -hmm. but you're asking it separately each one of these things right or do you throw all of that into one big prompt no so i like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is like one prompt. The desires okay. is a separate one. Now I have a process that I go through and I'd use chat GPT because people have, I think most experience with that as opposed to GPT-3. Funny side note, GPT-3 is better than chat GPT, but it never took off because it wasn't as easy to interact with it as it is to interact with chat GPT. So there's a copywriting lesson for you. Make yeah. your thing <laughs> feel like you're talking to a human Simple. if you yes. want humans to talk to it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So side note, anyway, the point is that I'll open up a new session and I'll, for any client project stays within the same session Yeah. and you can save your session and so on. And so when I start a project like a sales page project, I will start with prompts and several of them that'll help me do research around the avatar, research around the product or service that I'm writing for. I will then form a profile of who the avatar is. I will uncover what the unique mechanisms are. I will find big ideas in the research that I do with the help of ChatGPT. And then when I'm done with that, I'll have a document that has all the output that I want to keep that profiles the product, the unique mechanism, the big ideas, the features, the benefits, and the avatar that it's for. And I'll know deep things about the avatar, like what relationships matter the most for these people, what true deep fears do they have and how do they show up? What does a day in the life look like of this avatar? All the deep things that we usually do research for is there. Then I move on, stay within the same session, and then I move on. And then with all that generated output, I will then start drafting copy. Headline, subheadline, section copy, product copy, all the different types of copy that exist in a sales page, I will just start drafting it with the help of ChatGPT. What are some concerns you have before we get to the drafting phase? Like you're talking me through, this is making sense. I can get the research and analysis from the tool. What are you thinking about as you're getting back this analysis? How are you thinking about it objectively so you can discern what's worth paying attention to, what's not worth mm -hmm. paying attention to? Yeah, so the first thing you should know is that because it is a language model, it is not a fact model and it's not a scientific model. Right. It can replicate and tell you facts and scientific things and so on that are true and accurate, but it can also tell you things that are wrong. You, this is why I keep saying any chance I get that this is a tool for collaboration and not your single source of truth. So if I have research that I need where I need to be absolutely sure of certain facts, I don't ask ChatGPT those things. I will find the fact. Now, there are other AI tools where you can more easily find facts. So there are websites like illicit.org, I think, consensus.com, talktobooks.com uh, or something to that effect. And so there are platforms in SciSpace where you have access to all the world's research and scientific papers. And then with the help of AI, you can consume them, summarize them, and ask questions about them and have AI help you understand them and do the research for you. So I will use those tools to get the facts that I need. And then I will bring the facts to ChatGPT for the sake of summarizing, rewriting, and analyzing. But it's a collaboration. You never rely on whether it's Jasper, GPT-3, copy.ai, or any other tool. They're not meant, they're not coded, they're not trained to be fact checkers. They're meant for language. I say is again, they're language models. 
So you bring the facts that you need to be sure of and the references to them that you need to be sure of. You bring that to the table, so to speak. Now, there are search engines popping up that, that will give you references that use AI to produce results. There's you.com, neva.com, and soon bing.com will have ChatGPT integrated and it'll give you not just answers from ChatGPT, but ChatGPT will be able to actually give you references in the search. So it's coming, but so far you use it for language, not for scientific fact. So you, you just have to know, like it'll tell you things, but you can't always trust what it tells you to be actually accurate. However, when it comes to language and writing and analyzing, it's flawless. Yeah, as you're mentioning some of the tools, we should probably note Google, in, obviously competing with Bing, yeah. has their own AI, Sparrow, that is yeah. uh, rumored to be, I, I don't know very many people have played with it outside of Google, but it's rumored to be very much like OpenAI or mm -hmm. GPT-3, but with an up-to-date internet connection, which would and, be yeah, a step up from the data set that's in GPT-3 yeah. now. Because so. GPT-3 and ChatGPT is cut off at 2021. Right. So it doesn't know events or things that happen after the end of 2021. Now, Google is releasing what they call BARD, which is an odd name for their little tool. But everyone is now, everyone, these companies are now competing to release these little AI chat tools all at once. And so if this is version one, again, I'm telling you, when version 50 comes or version two comes, like it'll be far beyond what we can do right now. Yeah. It's only getting better. It's not getting worse. It's only getting better. So let's talk a little bit about some of the limits because, you know, as you've talked about the research capacity and capabilities, mm -hmm. this seems to me like the best part of OpenAI and ChatGPT3 right now. The writing part, I, to me anyway, there's still a lot lacking there, but there are clearly some limits. We just mentioned the data set is cut off. You were talking about the accuracy. You can't just pull facts out because it's not an encyclopedia necessarily. Right. It's a predictive text predictive generator model. And it, it has trouble with some math. Obviously, it can predict easily something like three times three because that's yeah. easily predicted. Yeah. But if the math gets complex or calculus, it can't actually predict the outcomes mm -hmm. a lot of the time. I think there are some limitations also with programming language. Yeah. It can predict what code should say mm -hmm. in order to produce an outcome, but it doesn't necessarily have the thinking capacity to actually figure out like, is this truly a bug or will it actually yeah. do the thing that it's going to do? So maybe it's 70, 80% there, maybe it's more than that or a little bit less, but there are definitely those kinds of hangups. And there are also some biases built in because of the data sets that we're working with, whether it's racial bias, it's, and it's not just that, but there are biases that we have to be a little bit careful of. Like you were saying, it's really important to bring our copywriter brains to this. And it's not just, hey, we're turning over an assignment to an AI machine, but wow. we're partnering basically with this tool and we have to suss out some of the stuff that, that it's not there yet. Yeah, but these companies, especially OpenAI, are, it's not daily, they're certainly weekly filtering how we can interact or not interact with it. Yeah. There are prompts that worked a couple of months ago that don't work anymore, as in it'll decline to give you output based on the prompt. Right. So it's changing. I think some specific examples of what you're talking about is there's people who have asked it to do things like build bombs or do uh, illegal. Yeah, yeah, okay. How to rob a bank. And it yeah. won't ask those questions anymore. No, it will if you give it a certain... You have to do the walk around though. It's like you have to write a script in which a character prepares yeah. to do it. If you fictionalize like it, if you ask it to write a story, then 
to a degree, it'll write whatever you want the story to be. And people are talking about prompt injection, prompt hacking, which is how you, so it's a language model, which means that you can trick it into saying anything you want if you just know the right way to trick it. Right. It's like a human being. I can trick you into saying something if I just know how to manipulate my words in a certain way so that you then start saying things. Yeah. So it's possible to break, like jailbreak it, whatever term you want to use. It is possible for someone to make it say things that it's specifically programmed not to say. And there, there are sub, what's a Reddit thing called? Subreddit forums, whatever the heck. Yeah. Subreddit, where people are like competing about how to jailbreak it. And so they'll make it say things like they, and they share tips on how to make it say things. The point is that that'll always happen because there are hackers who still try to break into computers all day long everywhere in the world. So there's always going to be someone who's trying to break into this thing. For you as a copywriter, though, you have a specific use case if you use this for client work or for your own stuff. And it, it sounds weird, but talk to it as if it is a human. It's not a human. It doesn't understand what you're saying, but it's trained on human language. And so whatever showed up on the internet when they consumed it all and processed it all and so on, it's there. And if I ask it, what would a 50-year-old male who struggles with joint pain, what does he fear every day when he wakes up? It'll give me an answer and it's most likely a very true and accurate answer. Because a 50-year-old male who struggles with this, somewhere on the internet said this thing and then it picked it up. So you can jailbreak it and you can spend your time trying to make it say things that, that it is programmed not to say and that aren't nice things to say. But if you think about your use case, you use it for a specific purpose, which is to write things. And one thing you said earlier, Rob, it is excellent at writing. Okay, let's talk about that. Because there are some things, again, it being a language model that yeah. it can't do. It can't tell my personal stories or the personal stories of the person who makes the supplement, right? But there are ways, not necessarily to jailbreak that process, but there are ways to get into those kinds of stories. So let's talk mm -hmm. about some of those. Yeah. And it can, if you give it the raw stuff of your story with the right prompts, it can write it exactly in your voice, your tone, your style, your diction, and you will read it and you'll wonder, did I write this? Or like, how does it know? Because you can train it on a particular style. Yeah. If you give enough examples. And so if I take stuff that you've written, Rob, and I get something that's representative of how you write and speak, so to speak, I can turn it on that style and then I can ask it to write anything in that style and it'll produce anything in the style and you will read it and you'll wonder if you wrote it. So how much of that, let's say you've been collecting my emails for the last mm -hmm. three or four years. Sam has been collecting I'm, I'm sure emails. you have. Sam. I have, yeah. I'm sure you've got the raw file. I have a separate file. swipe file, yeah. <laughs> or the Kira file, whatever. How <laughs> many of those do you need to drop into ChatGPT in order for it to be able to, what's the word count? that it needs in order to really start doing that. The more, the better, but in reality, you could get, you can use as little or as few words as two or 300 words until you can train your own model, which is coming. Like you're going to be able to train your own model where you can take all your content and you'll have a raw bot that produces content. But until then, what you can do right now today with ChatGPT, even with the limitations that exist, all you need is two or 300 words that truly represents your style where the emotional intensity of what you're saying is high, 
and specific word choices show up. And on something like two or 300 words, you can train it on that style and it will replicate your style flawlessly. Okay, so let's talk about some of those prompts then to get it to write mm -hmm. in a particular style. Maybe give us an example or two. I think anybody who's been following this has probably seen the example of the peanut butter jelly sandwich stuck in a VCR, how to remove it instruction mm -hmm. written in the voice of the King James Bible, which is, if you oh. haven't seen it, Google it, look it up, it's very funny. Yeah. Or maybe they've seen some of the stuff that people have done in Samuel L. Jackson's voice. Our friend Jill Clack Keys posted some of those on his Twitter feed. They're also quite funny. But yeah, let's say that we want to write in my voice, or maybe it's one of my clients that, I, that I'm working with and I want to write mm -hmm. in his or her voice. Mm -hmm. What does that prompt look like? So the, I'll give you the basis of the prompt, the principle of it, because you can, it can read like anything as long as the key elements are in it. So even though I will tell you a prompt, you don't have to copy my prompt word for word in order to get it right. You just have to know the direction you're giving it. So the direction you're giving it is two things. One, you're going to tell it to analyze a text. And the text is whatever, like 300, let's say 500 words of your client's voice that truly expresses the client's style, voice, and diction, and so on. You're going to say, analyze this text. And then you're going to say, based on the analysis, create a personality. Then you say, and then write, and then you give a direction on what to write using the style, diction, tone, and voice of the personality you just created. That's it. Now I can give you word for word, what, like what it should be. And so something like this, a personality with a capitalized P for the sake of just making it an entity, a personality is a paragraph describing the writing style, tone, voice, and diction of a written text. You are a writing bot who analyzes a piece of written text and creates the personality. Analyze the following text and generate the personality. And then you paste in the text. You hit enter, and then it'll give you a profiling of the personality of the text, which includes notions about voice, tone, style, and diction, things that make up our personality in text. Then you will ask it to write any, tell it to write anything. And then one example I like to use as part of a workshop I did is, please write two paragraphs about scuba diving in the voice, style, tone of the personality. And then it'll write about a random topic like scuba diving in the voice, tone, style, and diction of the personality that it just created. And then to finish the thought, you can keep having it write whatever you want it to write by referencing the personality it created, and it'll write it in that style. The part that's confusing to me as someone who's new to this is the prompts you're giving that you're sharing with us, where you're talking directly to the chat bot and the tool. How do you figure out what that is? Or can you not really go wrong? I know part of this is practice. You've had a lot more experience doing it, so you know exactly how to word things. But am I just figuring it out as I go and seeing what gets the best output? Or are there certain words and phrases you really need to use? If you were giving instructions to a junior writer, how would you instruct him or her? I would expect them to read my mind. <laughs> that is so true. Assuming for a moment that they can't read your mind. <laughs> the prompt is, you are a mind reader. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not trying to be facetious or anything, and I'll explain more. But what I'm trying to explain is, it sounds weird because it's not a human being. 
literally and truly talk to it like a human being and okay. give it instructions as if you're talking to it like a junior writer. It sounds like you're talking to a child the way you're talking to it. Like that's maybe the but way it's simple. To it. Yeah, you can talk to it at like college PhD level language and it'll understand, so to speak. Yeah. So you can be very like complicated in what you tell it. I'm just doing it to make it simple and try to make sure that it doesn't misunderstand okay. what I'm having it do. But think of this. If I was to ask you, like, what did you eat last night? I can ask you that question in 20 different ways, but the intention is still for me to find out what you ate last night. You need to approach ChatGPT and GPT-3 the same way. As long as you know what you're looking for, you can ask it in any way, shape, or form. And if you get output that's not what you're looking for, change the words and ask it differently. Yeah, that makes sense. Even though I give him prompts, like I don't want people to get stuck on the specific words. Yeah. Sometimes words matter. If I wanted to develop a personality, I'm going to say personality. I'm not going to say you are a piece of a rock. I'm going to use words that make sense for what I'm looking for. If I wanted to have a personality, why would I not use the word personality? I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to tell you're a rock today and therefore you're going to do X, Y, Z. It's language. It's human language. How do you communicate ideas to another person, another human being? You use language. You use words. And if they misunderstand, then you change the words. It's the most specific answer I can give, but it's also vague at the same time because I get it. People want to know what words should I use? And I'm, no, and I'm trying to tell you, it's sense. not about think, the words. I think the way you were saying it sounded like a script, but I get it wasn't a script. You're just giving us examples and yeah. we can use whatever words we need to use to be clear. So it yeah. makes sense now. Again, think of it as a junior writer with some experience, but less than you. And you're just trying to give it direction on what to give it. And if I'm a junior writer and you say to me, Sam, write 10 headlines, I go, about what? And then you'll say about X, Y, Z. And then I'll say, but who is it for? So you got to give it context. So when you ask it to do things, you got to give it context as to what you're asking for. Not just write a headline about Amazon.com. It'll write something, but it'll be dog shit. But if I give a specific direction on what kind of headline and context around whatever it is, what it is, who it's for, and then if I use adjectives, be descriptive, use emotional language, write like a human, be vivid, be detailed. But I would say that to a junior writer, I would say in these headlines, make them mysterious. And I'll say the same thing to ChatGPT and it'll write what it thinks, not what it thinks, what it predicts are mysterious headlines. So Sam, when you get that kind of output, you've, let's say you've written the sales page or emails or whatever, mm. how much rewriting then do you go back in and do? How much adjusting? And I'm guessing the real answer to this is it's going to depend on the input that we've yeah. given it. But let's say that you've done your very best. How often would you take the output and rewrite something, change the headlines, rework a story? Like, what does that look like? At this point, I don't rewrite a ton. I used to rewrite a lot, but now I've gotten better at getting what I want. And also you can have it keep rewriting the same email with different directions over and over again until it is what you want it to be. And so I might spend 10 minutes telling it to rewrite the same email in different ways. And then when it gives me a version, a couple of versions that I like, I'll copy and paste it into a doc and then make some small adjustments and then it's done. So the more you use it, the more comfortable you'd be about how to rework text. 
there's really no answer as to when you're done with it. It's you're done whenever you want to be done with it. Yeah. Like I could have stopped earlier and rewritten more or because it's, it's creativity on tap. Essentially, I'll just have it redo the same, same thing over and over again. It's like a junior writer who never gets tired and never gets pissed off at you for telling you to rewrite stuff a hundred times. And how do you use it in reference to your clients? As far as do you tell clients, Hey, here's one of my yes. tools I use. Are you upfront about that? Do we even need to be yep. upfront? I know it's a personal decision. It kind of is. It also depends on how you use it. I'm upfront. Okay. And I tell them why and how I use it. So whatever I'm working on, it is always that I leverage different AI tools to help me uncover opportunities in copy or optimization that I otherwise would probably miss. Or I'll say, I'm going to leverage these tools to help me create variants and then make a selection as to what gives you the strongest possible chance of success and converting. So when I talk about it and how I use it, it is never, I never say it'll help me write faster because it's not true. And I never say it's the thing that I use and I just edit. It is all, it is, it is always, I use it as a, as an assistant, as a tool in the toolbox, but the outcome of what I deliver is still the same. Excellent copy that converts. And so it's never about the AI and it's never not about the AI. It is always how it helps me do a better job at what I'm doing. Let's talk a little bit about some of the non-standard uses that you have for AI. Yeah, so, poetry. Uh, Let's talk about yeah. it. So I asked ChatGPT to write a limerick about Kira, and it did a pretty good huh. job. It didn't quite get the rhymes right, but it was close enough. I was like, was for a first attempt, it was pretty good. But yeah, let's talk about this. So poetry, pulp fiction, tell us just how you're playing around with it there. Yeah, I've been using it in all the ways you can write, or most ways you can write. I've been using it to do those things. So... I've practiced my Shakespearean sonnet writing with it. I've, I have Pulp Fiction stories selling on Amazon under a pen name right what? now. I have Pulp Fiction stories selling on Amazon under a pen name right now. You can share the pen name after. So I'm, so I'm doing this as an experiment. It's okay. published on Amazon without any notice that it is done by an AI. Because okay. I want to know, will people read it and buy it? Got it. <clears throat> And so when I'm done with the novel series, which is six books right now, and three of them are published, when it's done, then I'll reveal Got and it. say, hey, this thing. But the, the point is that I'm using it to write all kinds of things, nonfiction, essays, articles, sonnets, fiction, plays. It's great. It's perfect for ideation and brainstorming anything. What Sam didn't tell us, Kira, before he got on is we're actually talking to an AI Sam. I figured all Sam has always been AI. Oh, Sam's not real. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that from day one. <laughs> I don't know if I should be offended. Or no, so. it's a compliment. I think it's a compliment. How are you using outside of the writing world, if you don't mind sharing? So it's great for doing SWOT analyses on companies for investing. Okay. It is great for analyzing like quarterly earning reports and financial stuff because it'll tell you in like ordinary language you understand. It's great for research and not just like ChatGPT, but tools like SciSpace, which is, on, I think it's typeset.io. Their tool for reading PDFs is awesome. 
So I'll upload whatever like academic paper I want to read. I'll upload it there and it'll tell me things about it. It'll help me understand it. It'll rewrite things. That's just like some examples. I could keep going. But... What about with relationships? Is there any strong use cases you've seen there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to say that I've done this, but <laughs> what you could do is take text messages from your significant other and input them into the chat window and then ask it to write 10 replies or 10 messages that expresses your love toward that person. And then you'll have text messages done for you that you can then use or not use. <laughs> In commu <laughs> communication with so romantic, yes, yeah, so the most romantic use of technology ever. <laughs> so we've been talking about all this stuff, the, the positive uses, a lot of the stuff that you've been doing, how to use it better. Let's just talk about a couple of the mistakes or pitfalls that we really need to avoid that maybe go beyond just dialing in the prompts. Like, what are some of the other things we need to look out for? Are you talking society level? Or are you talking copywriting level? Well, let's talk copywriting level because <laughs> I think if we go society level, now we're talking about mass extinction events. So. Yeah, which so. is a very real possibility. Of course. But copywriting specifically, what it'll do to you is that it'll expose your thinking as either robust or flawed. And so if you give it unspecific and vague prompts, you will get a really crappy output. And so if you find yourself interacting with ChatGPT one day and you just get crap back, then most likely it is because your own thinking and how you express it in words is not good enough. It's not clear enough. It's not strong enough in what you're trying to say. And so it's easy to get stuck generating text, whether the text is good or bad. And it's hard to know when to stop and when it's time for you to do something with the text. Part of that is novelty. Like it's easy to go. I can just have it rewrite like, 20 headlines endlessly for hours, and they'll keep giving me new headlines endlessly for hours. But if you have a hundred headlines or 200 headlines, a thousand headlines, how do you know which ones are good? So you as a copywriter, you need to practice your eye for copy, if that makes sense. Like your ability to tell that copy is either strong or not, or useful or not, or like good enough, so to speak. So it's easy to get stuck and not know when to stop. And the pitfall is, like I said, you have it write stuff for you and generate stuff for you, and you start to believe it, if that makes sense. It'll be very accurate if you deal with language, and it'll be very accurate in terms of research around words people use and express the fears people express and desires and so on. It'll be very accurate. But like human beings, it is a very good bullshit artist at the same time. So we're good at just bullshitting and therefore it is also good at bullshitting because if you keep asking it for stuff, it's not trained to say no and stop at some point. It'll just keep giving you stuff to the point where it'll hallucinate, which is when it starts to make shit up. This is why I keep saying, I don't buy into it that this will replace copywriters. I also don't buy into it that copywriters can go about their life without ever touching it. I don't think that's true either. So the approach that I say you have to take is it's a collaboration tool and you use it as a collaborator and a, an assistant. So those are some of the issues. And like I said, it'll be clear very quickly if your thinking is muddled and muddied because if you can't express clearly in words that a machine can give you output back, then somewhere in your thinking or the way you express it, something is wrong.
if something is missing. Can you talk about the impact it's had on your business, your life? Like I thought it would be faster, but you mentioned that it's not actually faster to write. It is faster, but that's not how I want to compete in the world. Okay. But how has it helped you in your business? It has helped me recognize good copy faster and it's helped me making decisions around what's worthwhile to test and not to test because it's faster in the sense that I could probably sit down and come up with a hundred headlines in, in any given day. It would just take a while to do it, but this thing can do it in seconds or a minute. So it is absolutely faster, but that's not how you want to approach it and use it. Don't use it for speed, use it for the creativity and ideation that it can help you with. Use it for the rewrites and variants. Like I can take any client's email or whatever landing page text and have it rewrite it in endless variations. And then I can select the variations that I want to keep. Like I might have it rewrite an email and I'll give it direction to rewrite it 10 different ways. But out of those 10 ways, maybe only two or three of them are applicable to what my client is selling and who they're writing for or sending emails to. So even though it is faster and helps me write faster, that's not the value of it. The value is not in speed. The value is that it's creativity on tap and on demand, endless. And rewrites are endless. You can sit for hours on any given day and have it rewrite the same email a hundred times and it'll just do it. So this is a really interesting point to me, actually, Sam, because I hadn't thought about this, but one of the ways that I feel like I've gotten to be a better copywriter over time is mm-hmm. by looking at other people's copy, evaluating it, critiquing yes. it, giving feedback. And in yeah. some ways, that's what you're doing with the GPT robot is it's giving you copy and you're, you have to basically be able to look at it and say, oh, that part is really good or this is really flat here. And in some ways, just using the tool as a feedback mechanism could make us better copywriters because we're actually just practicing the art of thinking through persuasion and all of these little pieces of copy that, again, can take us days to put together when we're doing it on our own. And have it analyze your own copy. Like the analyses that I mentioned before, I do all that and a bunch of other analyses that I didn't mention. I do all of that on my own copy when it's done. If I've written a sales page or a page or an email for a client, I will ruthlessly run through those analytical tools on my copy to see where it falls short. If I do a sentiment analysis and I expect it to have a certain sentiment and then ChatGPT says, no, it does not have that sentiment, then whoops, okay, so something's missing. So I use it on my own copy as much as I use it to write anything. Like It's powerful for rewriting and analyzing your own stuff after you've written it. Yeah, now I want to analyze the last few emails that I've written. <laughs> See how I did. I'm going to put in my emails and just say to ChatGPT, why is nobody reading my emails and see what it tells me? <laughs> what can I do differently? <laughs> what about for creatives listening? They're like, now's the time. I want to jump in. I want to figure this out. What are a couple steps they could take? Because I feel like it feels overwhelming. Like there are already all these products, people are selling courses. There's so much to learn, but what would you recommend as an initial step or two? Start using it. Like actually log into ChatGPT. Is it chat.openai.com. Create an account, log into it and start interacting with it. Do you Just recommend the paid version or is the free version good enough for now? 
so I would recommend the paid simply because it gives you uptime and availability when the free version is like luck of the draw. Because there are tens of millions of people using this every single day, like they have a hard time keeping out with the load, obviously. Yeah. So the paid version, you will not run into the issue of having it crash on you. Okay. It's 20 bucks. You do it for a month. It's nothing. Yeah. We know there's going to be other iterations of it. It's going to be more expensive yeah. to get certain things out of it. But for now, it's definitely worth yeah. the money. But the best way is to start interacting with it and start asking it questions and tell it to analyze text and tell it to rewrite text and play around with it. Because the only way for you to get good at it is to actually do the thing. Like I have a workshop course that helps people do stuff, but you don't even need it. Like you can just start working with a thing. And if you like copywriting and language and so on, you'll have a great time. If you're an English major, even better, because you'll have all this knowledge about English or whatever language you speak. If you're a language major of any kind and you understand how to speak to people and communicate, then it'll be easier for you to do so. And I think copywriters have, a, have an advantage because we know words. We know how to string them together. We know how to use language. Use that same skill set when you interact with ChatGPT and ask things, tell it things, tell it to redo something, talk to it. Okay, I have a final question. So I love following you on Twitter to see all your updates. So definitely recommend everyone follow you on Twitter to see what's happening and the latest and your perspective on it. I think you had one quote that I really liked. You said AI can either dehumanize us or make us more human. So can you just speak to what that could look like maybe on a more global societal level in a positive way? We could go down the dark side of it, but let's end on a positive note. Yeah. It's all of those text messages to your loved one. <laughs> the love bot. So I think I'll start with the negative because it'll make the positives make sense. Wait, uh, I didn't ask is- you for negative. <laughs> I don't care. I'm Sambot and I'll do whatever I oh, want. Bot gives you what it wants. Do negative yeah, or positive. I, okay. Yeah. Well, I need to contrast it. AI as a technology, and it's really machine learning, but AI and machine learning, what we think of as AI, uh, the capabilities are there to dehumanize us. And by that, I mean, it's fully possible for anyone to use these tools to degrade themselves, degrade others, and for it to be used on a societal level to control us, surveil us, and dominate us. You see that happen in other countries. The capabilities are there, and they're at anyone's fingertips. The choice is, will they do it or not? And so if the right people make the choice to not do that and to not go down the road of surveillance, dominance, and control, and enslavement of who we are, then it can also humanize us because the same creative capabilities that can wreck us can also help us grow and evolve. And so it is possible for these tools to be used to create good in the world and to share and channel love toward each other, to create new things, to create new masterpieces, whether it is in music, arts, any kind of art, film, photography, text. There will be a book written at some point or several books written at some point that when people read it, they're transported and consumed by it and taken in by it and changed by it. And it'll be written by a robot. And the same capability for creative evolution and creative enhancements used the wrong way can take us down a dark road that no one wants to live in. 
But because the capability is there for good and for love and for positive things to exist, that's the choice that we have to make every single day. I can use ChatGPT right now to create all kinds of awful content. I can hack it and I can manipulate it and I can have it produce text in this case that would make someone feel threatened and feel attacked or feel degraded. I can also use ChatGPT to create amazing text that makes someone feel good and uplifts them and brings something good into the world. It's all about how I use it. And so what we're going to see over the next few years, especially since it's coming for all the creative work, we're going to see blockbuster movies scripted by robots, produced by robots, filmed and made by robots in all ways. And to a lot of people, that'll matter and they'll reject it. And that's fine. To others, it would be like a revelation where they go, I can't believe that this is possible. But what we have to understand is these robots, so to speak, are trained on what we have produced in the world. So the only reason it can produce good things is because we have, as a species, produced good things. That's also unfortunately why it can also produce bad things, because we as humans have made bad things happen throughout history. So it's really a reflection of who we are and where we are, and therefore we have a choice. Every day when you use ChatGPT or any other tool, are you going to use it to spread good things or are you going to use it to spread bad things? Those capabilities are there and it's all the, in the choice you make. It can produce amazing art, film, video, text, even dance, choreography, anything creative it can produce, but it does so at the direction of us and what instructions we give it and what direction we give it. So more than, maybe not more so than any time in history, but for the first time in a long time in history, the creative capabilities of geniuses is now available to anyone, at least with an internet connection and a browser and a laptop or a computer. There are people in Nigeria, people that I know that I met online in Nigeria who are using these tools to create amazing copywriting, amazing ads, where 10 years ago they couldn't for whatever reason. So we're right on that line. We're walking down that tightrope every day right now where the choice you make will affect whichever way us, we as a society go. If enough people use it for good, then things will turn out good. If enough people use it for bad, then things will go bad. Because the same capability and ability is there available at a rate that wasn't possible even five years ago. Does that make sense? Definitely makes sense. Yeah. And probably a good place to end this interview with that warning and maybe a charge for all of us to do better, to make sure that we're looking out for each other and to use the tools properly. So Sam, thanks for sharing your genius, your experience. My robot speak, yeah. Yeah, all that you know, and I have a feeling we may have you back to talk even deeper about some of this stuff. Anytime. Goes on. Anytime. Yeah, this was fascinating and such a great way to kick off this new podcast. You over-delivered, so thank you. My pleasure. 
We want to thank Sam Woods for joining us on the podcast to talk about AI and how it's changing the scope of not just the copywriting industry, but the creative industry as a whole. Sam recently presented a training in the Copywriter Underground where he walks through the process and the exact prompts that he uses in ChatGPT to write an email sequence. He showed us how to define exactly what you need to do so that the output that you get is actually good enough to use without a lot of editing. You'll find that in the Copywriter Underground membership at thecopywriterunderground.com. And if you want to connect with Sam and see what he's teaching about AI and copywriting, go to copywriting.ai or you can get his AI newsletter at bionicwriter.com. Finally, you can find him hanging out on Twitter at Samuel Woods underscore. And that's the end of this episode of AI for Creatives, a Copywriter Club podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts, leave your review on the show. We really appreciate it. And if you're catching us on YouTube, leave a comment below to let us know your favorite takeaway from the show. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.